0: (laughs) you're not you don't don't feel obligated to have to participate in this it's just sort of our little icebreaker that we do we do a unique little intro fact about ourselves something very random and surprisingly a lot of people will actually you know if they meet you somewhere and they're like oh you know you know i love that bit but we had a whole back and forth about eggs (laughs) and some
1: just came back and was
0: like oh you know what i agree with you brought eggs were i'm not trying to bring it to the egg debate sorry greg
1: you're like, those, that part on the eggs really resonated with me. You're like, what? It was,
0: it was like, <laughs> a, yeah. Like, you know, we, we had some really thoughtful content in that episode and you, you took away eggs. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> as long as you're listening, we don't really care.
2: <laughs> the views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes.
0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the C41A podcast. I'm Chris, and my hosts are... Hey, I'm Greg Taylor, and the first CD
3: I ever bought was The Black Album by Metallica. Heck yeah. And I'm Manoj Rima, and the first CD I ever bought was Alien Ant Farm.
1: Oh, another, another classic.
0: <laughs> and I'm Chris, and the first CD I ever bought was... The greatest hits by the doors okay
1: okay you either so, have really polished taste or you're really old i'm not sure which one <laughs> a little bit of both.
0: so i don't know how to recover from that i'm already having a midlife crisis it's hitting me with the age stuff already uh well i was going to introduce our guest for this episode but i think we're going to just kick him off or yeah. no i'm just kidding no we're really really excited for this special episode Uh, we have a a special guest joining us here today for for this episode we have josh white from the hero front podcast if you don't know josh and haven't heard of the hero front podcast we highly recommend you check it out we'll make sure we share some links uh, but we're just excited to have have you on josh so uh thanks for joining us thanks for coming on and and being our guest here and allowing us the opportunity to to have this have this uh discussion so what, what about you, Josh? What, what was the first uh, album or uh, piece of music that you bought on CD?
1: First CD I ever owned was Rage Against the Machine.
0: Oh, nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Okay. That's yeah, a, good, a good one. That's a good one. That is a yeah, good that, one.
1: And that CD changed my life. I mean, he's so angry and it's just... <laughs> I was into skateboarding <laughs> then. You know, I had a bowl cut. You know, that whole... <laughs> I, I, don't think
0: you, I, I don't think you can say anything about my age then because I think we might be about just about the same age it's
1: lining up yeah yeah, well i said refined taste or old (laughs) right yes he did did. i did give options
2: yeah well he gave you an out (laughs) yeah thank you
0: i've definitely been called worse but i probably identify as both of those things yeah so uh so like i said josh you're the host of the hero front podcast we're all very big fans of of the work that you're doing and it's always we love that you're also a medic as well, and so we love to see folks from the the medical community out there uh, spotlighting a lot of the hard work that our that our medics are doing. Uh, but why don't you just tell us a little bit about the Hero Front podcast? Tell us a little bit about who you are. A little bit, of, you know, if you want to share some career highlights or anything of that nature, you know, whatever it is you feel like sharing, the mic is yours.
1: Awesome. So Josh White grew up in Waldorf, Maryland. I'm fourth generation Air Force. And I got—I grew up with five sisters. I think that's why I'm such a good storyteller because they always made me explain every detail. And so, yeah, I grew up in Waldorf, Maryland. Primarily lived a little bit on Andrews, Um, but seeing my dad—you know—he had to wear blues every day. By the way, I don't know—I think back in the day, you know, office personnel—that was just all that was their uniform. So, and by the way, wearing your blues every day—that's got to be like the best PT incentive of all time. I mean, right. if you, That's right. because if you—that's right. Yes, because if you have a cheat meal, you are gonna see it. You know what I mean? You can't hide that on on the blues.
0: It's a really good point, right?
1: It's a very good point. That's how you boost the PT score, right there. But yeah, so I I always wanted to join the Air Force. It was just, you know, my dad switched to the Active Guard, and there's a really big guard center on Andrews, and my I had aunts and uncles that worked there, and aunt who was a colonel. She was married to my uncle who was a chief. Uh, my dad was prior enlisted. He ended up being a retiring as a major. So I had all these amazing role models and this whole family vibe that just stuck with me since childhood. Um, and then my grandfather was one. My great grandfather was an airman, uh, part of the Army Air Corps, which I have his autobiography that I need to get published, talks about like Hap Arnold and all these stories with those generals back then that. May not be anywhere but in this book, and so that was a uh, that was always on my heart and on my mind. I had a, a great family, but it was plagued with divorce. So and it's not one of those mutual amicable amicable divorces. It was uh, it got pretty ugly. You know, you had to choose sides, and a lot of me and my sisters had a lot of you know neglect during that time because they were so focused on keeping it together in their own personal lives, and so some of that. Trauma that resurfaced when I joined is uh, kind of one of the reasons why I started the podcast. When I joined, uh, I was Aerospace Ground Equipment. Um, this was July of 2004 is when I went through BASIC. I was Aerospace Ground Equipment, was at Shepard for six months. And that's for tech schools. That's like, you you feel like you're there for the rest of your life compared to everyone else. You're like talking to other people like, oh, I'm here for a month. What about you? I'm like, my whole life, apparently. Um, But what was great about that experience was I got to go to my first base, Anderson Air Force Base Guam, with my whole class practically, which to this day, I don't know how that happened, but it made for the best first base experience I could have ever asked for. And by the way, the drinking age was 18, and it no longer is, probably thanks to me. So had a great time there, went to Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, Japan as my follow-on. Love Japan, love the culture, love the food. Everything about that country is just incredible. But I did hit some dark times at that point because a lot of that drinking stuff that I was doing, well, it kind of turned into isolation and 12s on night shift for a long time. Um, And I realized real quick I didn't have the coping skills to really handle that. Got to Whiteman Air Force Base, Missouri. Uh, I was in Mun's age, so I got to work kind of closely with what the B two was loaded up with. Uh, pretty cool experience to be a part of that mission. I was a part of a real world mission during that time as well, and I actually almost lost my life during that time. I was very unhealthy, and I took the flu mist. Do you remember the flu mist? It was a live virus, and you snorted yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Well, I was in such a poor mental and physical state that when I took that flu mist, I got myocarditis, and that that quite literally almost killed me. At that point, I wanted to get out. Thankfully, I had the opportunity to retrain. I retrained as public health, uh, which was fantastic. Got to go to to Wright Pat for that for that training three month uh, tech school, and went to Luke Air Force Base. I brought my girlfriend there. We ended up getting married. We've been married for ten years now. My wife Angie. Uh, we have two beautiful children. Um, I have Summer, my daughter, who's six, and my son Phoenix, who's four. At Luke, me and my wife just traveled. You know, we we didn't have kids right right away. Uh, we just traveled and hiked all over Arizona and took full advantage of being stationed at Luke Air Force Base, which is one of the coolest assignments I think you could ever have. So. I went back to Whiteman Air Force Base. I wanted to go back to Whiteman Air Force Base for a few reasons. One, my wife was from there. That's where I met her the first time. And we wanted to start a family. Her family lives there. So it, it, we would have help, which is unusual for an active duty member, right? And that ended up being the best decision I ever made because that's when I really started growing, taking risks and, and getting out of my comfort zone, and it, it all started, honestly, with just taking on a commander's call. That's kind of a story in and of itself. But all these opportunities started opening up one success after another. And it got to the point where I was the fill-in med group commander exec, which is an officer spot, as are all the other group execs. And I ended up getting to like hold that spot and do it for a year. So that just gave me a whole nother look behind the curtain, working with the med group commander. That was her first group command. And I just learned so much through watching her. Her name's Colonel Crystal Henderson, incredible woman, incredible doctor, and uh, just a very passionate, hardworking person who really shaped me for this next big challenge, which was honor guard program manager running the base honor guard. Uh, and covering every Air Force veteran funeral in the state of Missouri, which equates to about a thousand a year. Um, so I went from a few airmen that I'm supervising to 30 airmen at once, 60 a year. You know, this, ha- and you're doing all the parades, you're going to sports games, you're doing all the funerals. It was uh, a wild experience to be put in that position and have that much oversight with this tremendous mission, which, really is seen more off base than it is on you know what I mean 90% of what they do is off base you never see it it's for the public and so it was that was such a challenge one of the hardest jobs I've ever had especially doing active duty funerals and handing the flag to you know spouses parents children and reciting the message of condolence I've probably done that for active duty members five times in each time it was the one of the hardest things i've ever done in my life and everything since then has not felt as tough because i got through those moments and nothing will ever come close to you know being in that position and being there for a family in their darkest hour from that point uh, i became a 12 outstanding airman of the year for 8th air force and global strike command that award really changed my life i got to go meet all of the global strike leadership. And that's kind of why my podcast was a bit more successful right out the gate because I was familiar with a a tremendous amount of Air Force leaders because that award gave me access to have relationships with them. And why I started the podcast, well, actually now I'm at Eglin Air Force Base, closed the chapter at Honor Guard at Whiteman, got pulled out a few months early to run COVID ops at Whiteman. One of the also toughest things i've ever done went to eglin ran covid ops there for a year they had their process really dialed in so it was very busy and chaotic but it was much more structured here um, and now i'm back into public health um, how i started the podcast i've been doing it for 3 years and that experience in honor guard really taught me something there's two different fronts when you take over an organization there's the public opinion of that organization and there's your actual true skill level. And I think both of those really factor into each other. I had a terrible team at the gate, a, a bunch of really salty airmen that I could not shape. It was, they were already kind of on this bad path. And so I asked for uh, a clean slate. I got a brand new team, had the most creative control I've ever had to the point where. I learned more by being by being given that creative control than any other experience I've ever had as an airman. You know, being put in charge of that program and saying, we trust you, we're gonna empower you with these decisions. Just let us know and we'll give you the green light. That that approach changed my whole life because it, it really unlocked my potential. And I remember thinking, why is this happening now? Shouldn't why do I feel like this now? I've been in it for a long time. Like we should do that more often. I had a s I was struggling to get the really high quality airmen, and that's because the opinion of the base on the program was so poor and those two things kind of spiraled it out of control right you You actually are doing horrible, so the opinion goes down, and they played off each other and I was like, How can I change their mind right? We got a whole new team here. And I started highlighting these airmen on social media, started learning their story. I started interviewing them, started taking pictures of them in their, in their ceremonials and their family was sharing it. Their supervisors were sharing it. Now there's no guessing at what's my airman doing in honor guard. Probably nothing. They don't do anything over there. Now there's, I've taken the guesswork out and they're seeing their airmen. They're proud of them. We ended up, you know, being the top honor guard of the year. It was just the most successful, empowering, incredible year of my career and one of my entire life. And I never forgot how powerful it was sharing those stories uh, and highlighting those airmen because awards just aren't frequent enough. You know, once a quarter, once a year, it's just not enough. Um and to for these airmen to be doing funerals day in and day out, I needed to find something else. And when I highlighted them, I realized we were creating joy and highlighting these stories from practically nothing, right? All it took was my time. And yet the, I would I would argue that the happiness factor, how proud they were of themselves is equal to and on par with winning an award because they're still getting, you know, people to be proud of them, they're still being sent all this love and admiration for who they are as an airman. And that always stuck with me, how we can essentially create that joy from just simply honoring that person and sharing what their strengths are and what they bring to the team. When I got to Eglin, I had a a tough time integrating from the scope, uh, the excitement, and the purpose of Honor Guard back to being in charge of like Excels and PowerPoints and stuff. I really struggle with that part, that transition. A lot of people do that are in special duty since I've spoken to a lot of them. And I thought, you know, how do I get that part that I feel like I'm missing back. How do I get that back? I, I know it's needed, I know it's helpful. How do I bring it back? That's when I came up with the idea of a podcast, something that I could own, something that I would have creative control over, and something that I know people would really appreciate, since I had such an incredible experience running something similar with that Honor Guard Facebook page. And so I, I did. I full sent it. I got I got the name locked in. Uh, got the website just little by little, I built it up. And then I finally had my first guest, which was my dad. That was my first guest. So that was a really special episode. Uh, and that was three years ago. The name hero front it's named after honor guard because honor guard are the heroes at the front of every ceremony and parade. They're always in the front carrying, um, the flags, even my logo. The hero front logo is a play off the hap Arnold on their ceremonial caps. um, And then kind of spiritually, what it means is we all have uh, an inner hero. We all have something to bring to the table. We Sometimes we struggle with bringing that out, though, to the front of our life, right? So I truly believe everyone has it in them to be great. Unfortunately, we don't always make it, right? Some people die of, of overdose, of obesity, of ending their life, right? They couldn't find the hero and bring it to the front, but I sincerely believe uh through meaningful conversation, transparency, and building trust, you know, we can I want to help find that inner hero and in everyone I talk to and anyone who listens to help them bring that to the front of their life so they can start feeling like they're not alone. There's other people out there like them and kind of be given the roadmap on how that person got out of a tough situation.
0: Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing that with us. Really, just awesome stuff, and really, I think you highlight a lot of the topics that you cover uh, in your podcast. Uh, I know a lot of the episodes I've listened to. You talk about resiliency and and strength. And one, I just want to I want to thank you for being vulnerable to share some of those personal experiences that you've gone through. I know that that's not always easy, but I think that it is extremely important uh, for for people to share those because. When you are going through something like that, uh, it does feel like you are isolated and that you're alone. So it is helpful sometimes to hear that somebody else has gone through that. Uh, you know, I, I had heard one of your episodes where you had talked about you know, struggling with your your drinking myself. I've been sober just over two years now, and you know that was something that I was going through. and I think I heard that episode right around that that time frame where I was where I was getting into my sobriety. Um, so I can say personally, you know, that has even helped me. But but to say you know it is extremely important because there are those people that are out there that are that are struggling maybe haven't developed those coping mechanisms like you had said they just you just didn't have those skills yet and and I think that they do help so so I appreciate that I, and I really think that what you're doing is is extremely impactful so thanks
1: thanks for thanks for your thanks I mean that was a uh, very well said and I, I'm I love that you listened to an episode that you kind of heard right at the right time it's kind of like that that extra encouragement, you know, maybe someone's on the fence and then they hear the right message at the right time. And it kind of keeps, it keeps that torch of purpose lit for that person in that moment. And I mean, that's kind of the beauty in, in podcasting.
0: Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more on that. I really, I really couldn't. So thanks. Uh, So Greg Minoj, um, either of you guys have uh, any questions for, for Josh? Yeah,
2: of course. So I'll echo, I'll echo Chris, you know, Listening to your story, I've, I've heard bits of that through listening to the episodes of your podcast. Uh, some of the things that you mentioned, but there's so much really interesting, so many interesting perspectives and experiences that I, I, I really want to unpack. And the first one really is the first episode that I listen to. So when I pick up a new podcast, I usually go to episode one and start from the start from scratch. And I remember your first interview with your dad. And in the moment, you know, I but well, I had some feel I definitely have some feelings uh about that and just, you know, kind of the way in which your relationship with your dad and and my relationship with my dad were were similar. But the first question I want to ask you is is why why was he your first interview?
1: So there's a few reasons. One, I needed a trial run. Right. I simply needed to know if the setup worked and if I record it, does it get saved? How does it sound? I didn't want to, I wanted someone I trust and that has patience with me where if I was like, Hey, that was a wash. It sounded terrible or it didn't, it didn't save. Sorry. And they wouldn't be like, what the hell you wasted my time. You know, my dad'd be like, cool. We had a good talk. Oh, well move on. You know? So that's one reason. And I've noticed a lot of people's first guests are something similar to that, by the way. But another big reason is I feel like podcasters are historians in a way because you're capturing someone's perspective that, you know, they've maybe never shared with anyone before and they were going to take that lesson to their grave. But now it's saved forever. And I really wanted to honor my dad. And get to know him in a different way by asking. So, we talked about like mental health and some tough questions. It wasn't all just like the wins in our life, you know? Um, so, I really wanted to honor him to get to know him in a different way than I already did and just share that special moment with him where, you know, his son is an adult in the Air Force now. And just how far we've come, you know, father and son, him being the primary person that raised me. I just needed, I just really wanted to have that special moment saved forever. And, and to make sure I, I caught some stories and perspectives that I may want to listen to 20, 30 years from now.
2: It's fascinating. The time capsule thought because it's true. And these digital files, you know, are, are forever or have the potential to be forever. And, you know, who knows where we'll be a couple of decades from now and, and what we'll want, we'll want to look back on. I, I, I really noted and made a note to myself when you were coming on uh, just to mention how the, with that interview, the, like the level of caring that the two of you have for each other uh, really came through there and, and just, you know, kind of made me like uh, my, my dad has passed, but maybe in the moment, like uh, really want to call him.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And so it was uh it was cool uh and it was it was a great interview and a great way to start you know really build up momentum. So it it came off to me and I think if I was I mean we our first guest uh wasn't on our first episode so we we were bouncing these things off of each other uh first which you know having uh, three three hosts I guess g- gives us the opportunity to do that versus flying solo. It was a great episode though and I think if I was going solo and doing my own thing, I would have wanted to interview my dad too.
1: Greg, I think that's a, I mean, wow, what a, what a powerful story you have just with, yeah, I wasn't expecting that, you know, um, you know, sorry for your loss, first of all. Um, and thank you for sharing that. I can tell you sincerely love and care about your dad and, and you really felt that in my conversation and I've never had anyone tell me that before. So, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. Seriously.
2: Yeah, no worries. No worries. Manoj, you got a question? I can't follow that. Like, come on. Like,
1: what am I supposed to do? He's like, who's your favorite Pokemon?
2: I don't... <laughs> yeah, right? I know. <laughs> it's Mewtwo. Oh, I'll, ask, Let me <laughs> I'll ask another one. I'll well, ask another one. No, one. I can, maybe, I can.
0: maybe less emotional. It's not a question. It's just more of a comment about Josh. Josh's point about podcasters being historians. I, I really like what when you said that. And I know, Greg, you kind of said this a few times in some of the conversations that we've had. Uh, more offline, um, just about like the direction of where we think the podcast is going or maybe why we're doing it. It's really just kind of this snapshot in time, really. Um, and especially for us being, you know, maybe a little more specific to our AFSC. But um, I, I really liked that that perspective of this being sort of a historical record of sorts, which is almost comical in a way as well, <laughs> because of some of the things that we we've, we've had conversations about. But sorry, it was just more of a comment.
2: That was definitely what, how I feel about the deployment interviews that we've Mm -hmm. done in the past and that, you know, I want to get back to again here soon with another set of those, which was, you know, Josh, I don't know if you had had a chance to listen to any of that content, but really we're taking MSE officers that had deployed within the last few years and kind of just, Hey, what was that experience? How did you prepare? Because depending on where you are and you might go a decade or more in the career field and never deploy and so really just get those stories out and i felt like in that moment it was like what is it like to deploy in the 2020s you know to the places that we send our our airmen to and you know the jobs that we ask them to do and maybe looking back on that in the 2030s will give us some fresh insights
1: it absolutely will i mean the every 10 years it's a totally different world so i mean i i wholeheartedly agree people will be doing case studies on this stuff one day absolutely
0: josh in our pre-discussion did i hear you mention that you had deployed to israel
1: yes i got to work with the idf that was this past february it was for uh, a month so it wasn't like a super long thing it was a a turn and burn, in a sense, but I got to go to Israel in February. Um, I got to basically, I was not public health. I was a T triple C and Emeds medic. I was a medic. Uh it was me, a bio guy who's also medic. It was a four in and a doctor. And I learned so much during that trip. I, I mean, I learned about the other cultures, how they work, um how they how how their medics are. I got the full tour. Um, And then we ran just exercise after exercise and just, it was just, it was amazing to be a medic. I never thought I would be acting in that role. And I know that's kind of controversial with some folks. Some folks say, Oh, we shouldn't have to do that. I work here. Why am I learning this? I get that, but going through it personally, I see how important it is. If God forbid, one of those rockets touched down on your base they're not going to care that I'm public health. You know, they're going to expect me to know how to save that person's life in that moment because their leg was blown off or whatever the case may be. They're going to expect that out of me. So, seeing it real world uh, and feeling that danger, I was really proud to know I could do that. You know, I was very proud to be a medic that can act to that, that can rise to that challenge, that can react and actually save lives potentially even as public health so the the experience to me was absolutely tremendous and then i got to see jerusalem the dead sea masada i got to see a lot of the the countryside too and it's just a beautiful historical place that you know i'll never forget
3: i'll jump in and just say uh, before i ask my uh, question uh when you were talking about your honor guard experience it really hit home with me too because i'll be honest i've been in for just about eight and a half years now. And I didn't know much about Honor Guard. And, you know, I see them at uh, wing change of command ceremonies and other events, uh, quarterly awards, whatever. And you kind of just see them bring the flag. And I'm actually a national anthem player. I don't sing. I play it on my viola. So I always wait for the cue when the flag drops. Okay, I can start playing. And that's pretty much all I knew from Honor Guard. But being at this base i have an airman i'll I'll give a shout out uh senior airman jack brown he's part of our wing honor guard and he's done so many things that i've since he's in my flight i get to talk to him he tells me hey sir i gotta uh, leave this afternoon for this for this for this and i'm like wow y'all y'all do so much and he actually uh won third quarter honor guardman of the honor guardman of the quarter uh just yesterday uh so very proud of him for that too and he I went to his honor guard graduation, which I'd never been to. And I saw all the stuff they were doing with the the rifles and everything. I was just like, I've been in the dark for sure with this group. This is amazing. So hearing all that and your experience really put that together for me and what he's doing, not even just on our base, but all over the state pretty much he's been going a lot yeah. to wise for all these different ceremonies. So it's, it's, it's definitely eye opening. I'm very proud of him and for everyone that's been doing that stuff. It's, it's really, uh, a cool moment to be part of and see. They definitely Um, come
1: back really, really polished. I mean, they got to, they take care of themselves. They have a lot to care. Equipment. There's a lot of moving parts. Even when you get there early, you map out the path you're going to walk. You don't want to trip over a headstone. There's a lot of mm -hmm. thinking on your feet. There's a lot of changes at the last minute. Just the skills they learn is invaluable. Is invaluable.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's definitely a sight to see, to watch them work whenever they, they're doing their thing. So, my question, you, you've been around for a minute and you've talked to a lot of great people and a lot of great leaders and you're a leader yourself as well. So I just want to know, is there anyone you've talked to or anyone that you haven't talked to yet that you would like to, you, you kind of emulate their leadership styles or anyone out there that uh, that you look up to that you're like, I want to be like that.
1: Oh my goodness. My, my airmen
3: and my, my troops. Yeah.
1: Wow. That is a tough one. You got me wanting to like, <laughs> I'm just like going through a catalog of, of people <laughs> In my mind, there's so many. First of all, Hmm. like I, I every talk I've ever had, I leave with something different or new. But I, I guess the person that I would like to give a shout out to, in a sense, is uh, Major Kate Hewlett. So I did a three part episode series with her, who is at Hurlbert. I'm at Eglin down the road, and meeting her basically like changed my whole life. Like it's crazy how like one person could have that much of an impact, but she's just a, a straight up warrior. Like, just her story. I, I encourage anyone to listen to the three part story, which we recorded in one sitting. I think it was like five hours straight. I mean, this is it was a lot. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. But like, that's how amazing her story is. She has MS. Um, she was a navigator. She was a pilot. Um, you know, the, having that MS diagnosis, but she's still active duty. She wouldn't even take that as like a, a means of getting like separated or something. Um, Her, her woman's rights stuff that she set up and, and had a hand in like dagger Athena. And like, just, if you hear at like a conference that empowers women in the military, I guarantee you she had a hand in it, but the lives that she has changed, she's the, like the, the level she'll go out of her way to improve someone's life and no one will know about it is unreal. Like just how selfless she is and how much she cares about people. I want to emulate that. I want to care the way she cares. I want to help the way she helps and have faith that that impact, you know, will change that person's life um, because I have seen her do it time and time again. And she's also done it for me. Um, so I guess the, the trait that I would take from her is she doesn't quit even when faced with so many tremendous obstacles that would break somebody. She does not quit. She uses her trauma and turns it into triumph and stories and inspiration. She's found a way to make that help people. And the third thing i take from her is how deeply she cares about people. And the actions she follows through with to truly change that person's life, and no one even knows about it. She's not getting kudos. She's not getting some award. She's literally doing it because she just cares that much.
3: Well, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I, I'm I'm definitely going to go uh, look for that three parter episode and, and definitely give that a listen. And then I have to agree. There's I, I kind of uh, try to emulate some of those attributes as well. Just you know, it's our sort of, it's one of our. Uh, uh, oh my god! Oh, core values. Uh, you know service before self it's just the first thing and, and i definitely yes i know you know i don't repeat them all the time sorry i just forgot it for a second but you know, hey, it's not the first thing the power of editing yes
1: the, the first thing is integrity actually for the record
3: i mean true 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 <laughs> integrity is... i had to you know it's funny <laughs> i had to write about it in my msc essay that i wrote when i was trying to commission in and uh you know when i was writing about that part i i felt like I was pretty fortunate to have a lot of examples there because I've always, I've always put everybody else before myself. I always, if it, if it means me getting hurt or me uh, even taking fault, taking a step back uh, detriment, I'll be like, if it helps somebody else, absolutely. I'm going to do it. Like, that's just, I, I, that's how my parents raised me, I guess. And I, I love them to death for having raised me like that. Just always putting other people before yourself because seeing the smile and the joy and the success on that person's face definitely brings me, uh, joy and um, the, some self-gratitude that i can be like yes i helped with that i'm really happy i made that person's even their day their life their week whatever if i open the door for them and they're just like people open doors still yeah I'm, I'm, I'm that person i'm gonna open the door for you still and so if they get a little joy out of that i i'm ecstatic
1: yeah i mean it sounds like you don't look at people like a number you know you you see who they are and want to get to know them and that I mean, that ultimately is going to build the trust and make your whole team and organization better. Mm -hmm. When people know that they can trust you and you actually care, there's nothing that that team can't accomplish at that point.
3: Absolutely. Definitely, definitely believe that for sure.
0: Yeah. Minosha is not really known for treating people like a dimmer's eye code. (laughs) Greg. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Greg, uh, I had to bring up the old unpopular opinion of how much you love <laughs> Dimmer's Eye. So, you know, I just, I just wanted to take the moment. That's all. If y'all
1: have a merch line, you got to give Greg a dimmer's eye like shirt. Like I... <laughs>
0: this is great. This is really good. We're <laughs> oh, on to right something here. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Take merch. notes.
2: I don't get I feel me like that. was I, That was a, that was a unfair and unprovoked attack. <laughs> yeah, you know, bringing up old business <laughs> it was old business. You're, <laughs> that's true still an
3: open still an open item <laughs> well
2: we we talked about this a few minutes ago before we we came on air and i know that this time of year for demers Eye is is the worst time of the year uh because we have to do all of our new templates and Especially the one time card that crosses fiscal years, and you need two codes. Oh, the split one. Very complex. Oh yeah, that split
1: one is that'll that'll humble you. (laughs) That will humble you.
0: It's like the final dimmer's eye boss. Like you have to cross that. Like you gotta get through that boss to get to the next fiscal. Year. I mean, it's it's horrible. The split time card is the worst.
3: You know, you know what? It's what's worse when you work in RMO, where this is like the number one job that needs to get done in order to make sure your statement of operations and your budget is correct. And I have to care. I really do, and I do care. But like, I have to convince other people that this is really really important and when it to them it's just boxes that don't load correctly and if you let it sit there for too long it resets and you're like dang it and so like i have to tell somebody like no this is super important please do it and please do it on time and so i've actually i don't know i don't know if i told you guys but i i have a different i made a diversite trophy that i give out every two weeks now to the flight that not only submits but approves all their stuff and on time or ahead of schedule. And then uh, I, I, I handed out the trophy for the entire year, and the flight that won, the tro- or wins the trophy the most for the entire year, I said I would buy a pizza party for. So surprisingly, uh, it was flight medicine and dental this year, so I actually gave flight medicine a pizza party, and I'm giving dental their pizza party later this month, and I'm, I'm holding true. Like, this, hey, this is what motivates people, and... I, I I raised the ante for next year. I said, I'll do a Chick-fil-A party. And everyone was like, we just had a Chick-fil-A open up like a month ago. So everyone's really excited about it. So I said, I'll do a Chick-fil-A party for the next flight that wins the Eye Trophy the most over the next fiscal year. So I'll do anything to motivate people to do this and do it correctly.
1: Hey, you throw food in there. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm all in. You just said pizza and Chick-fil-A. Like, what? say no more. Sign me up. <laughs> right.
2: There's got to be something better that we can talk
0: about other than Deborah's eye. I yeah,
2: like. so uh,
0: I, I got another question for Josh then. So, this is kind of a just a a pretty simple one here, but I, I think a lot of what you do, you know, we talked earlier about you know the the product that you're putting out. It's really a polished and well put together product. It's it's very thought out. You've got great interviews. You know, you talked a lot about the why behind what you're doing it. But how has being a podcaster helped you in your current role uh, specific to like communicating Um, and whether that be, because I know you said, you know, you've kind of been asked now to kind of expand your reach and start doing things a little outside of, and, you know, assisting in in areas that maybe you wouldn't normally assist in, but have you found that it's kind of helped you communicate in better ways or, you know, maybe ask more thoughtful questions and, and apply that to like your, your current role?
1: Yeah, I think the number one thing it's helped me do is, you know, be empathetic. You know, I hear so many uh, stories from people that really just surprised me. I mean, even what Greg shared, you know, with his father and how he felt with my episode. I There's not many forums in which, you know, he would be able to tell me that at work, you know. But when we had this dedicated time during this podcast and we were intentional about a conversation, like you hear a lot of things that 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 surprise you, and so with that in mind, I'd say one of the biggest things that's done for me is be empathetic for people, because I know everyone's got something going on. You know, I know that now because I've talked to so many people, and you know how you approach those sensitive topics, and how how you show that you care, uh, and that you're interested in who they are. I think that has all you know done very well in my life. Through the podcast, through speaking to people, hearing their stories, and kind of pulling that string a little bit to get something out of that person, like in a real world situation that, you know, you know, something's there, you know, something's off. I think it would it 100% has given me more tools to pull that thread and have that person trust me enough to really tell me the truth on a situation. Um, so it's definitely helped with that. Uh, public speaking, that's gone through the roof. I think that goes without saying, you know, there's not many, you know, after I've, (laughs) I talked to Lieutenant General Slife face to face on Hurlburt, you know, seeing a three-star general sit across from me, I I don't think he can get any more intimidating than that. (laughs) And and a three-star that was over AFSOC nonetheless, right? Who is a hero in his own right? You know, after that, I feel like I could do just about any talk because that one was probably the one that really had my nerves going because i know how important this person is um how many people are going to tune into that because of who he is but i got to i got to really tell him thank you for doing that um now there's thousands of people out there you know who know his character I mean, i'd say more than thousands tens of thousands who know his character they 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 know his flaws that he talks about things he's working on and kind of where he's going in his mind and in his vision, and i it wasn't just me getting to hear that you know it was everybody getting to hear that and he could be the next vice chief of staff of the Air Force and now we're familiar with him on a level that otherwise wouldn't have existed had that conversation not happened and since then, I've noticed my nerves have been a lot more calm because if you can get through that, you know there's just certain things in life and in podcasting where it really does start to improve like your nerves when speaking right it re- you you kind of can go to that place and start speaking and kind of block out all that anxiety from the folks watching you i had to tell a safety story not too long ago about how me as a public health airman used tccc skills and emed skills and all that extra medic stuff to help save a 2 year old little girl's life when everyone was screaming and panicking you know as she was like choking, essentially, um, and how I you know, had to act in that moment and how that felt. I was able to really articulate that in, in a very well manner to all of the med group leadership in, in a really special and impactful way because I know how to convey that story. I know how to paint that picture. You know what I mean? And I, I'm convinced at this point that words are the most powerful tool that we have. I mean, words can start wars, words can incite love and and inspiration. Like there's that, that's such a valuable tool. Um that I'm very thankful that I've really honed that craft. It, it is it's it's been tremendous with just my interpersonal communication and it's opened a lot of doors for helping around base now. Now I'm now I'm interviewing LRS, I'm interviewing security forces. Um, I'm doing all these retirements and interviewing their families and creating these really special moments because I know how to not only capture it, but how to present it as well.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I I think um I think Greg and Minoj would agree with me that the power of empathy is extremely important. And I'm I'm really glad that you touched on that topic. Uh, but then also just, you know, the strength in communication and how important words are, how much they really do matter in you know, just shaping the direction of things overall. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that.
1: Absolutely. So
2: which uh, with all these interviews, can you you don't have to name names, but can you think on like the most difficult one that you had to do or you prepared for or the actual conversation itself?
1: Definitely. There's there's the most difficult one um was senior master sergeant retired Tawanda Griffin Greer, who was the first sergeant who saw the active shooter situation unfold in front of her, in which her commander was shot and killed by a disgruntled airman. It's not often someone's that close to the active shooter situation and survives to tell the story. That's kind of a very rare thing. And I, I was very nervous about. That's a hard thing for anyone to hear, but you know, I think the thing that I left with that conversation is it really made her feel better that people care enough to hear her side of the story. Like that was so healing for her, Um, because for a time there, she was kind of shunned. Oh, you're a first sergeant. Why didn't you jump in front of him? Why didn't you punch him? Why? All this. She had all this criticism, and I remember hearing about that criticism because I remember hearing about that situation, you know, and how, oh, that shirt isn't a real shirt because they didn't do this or that. And, you know, what a horrible thing to say to someone who just got put in the, the most terrible situation imaginable and now is getting criticized for it. I mean, it's just it was just absolutely brutal. To hear that and to re- actually remember hearing those conversations at my own base, that one had me very nervous because I, it, it is hard to hear, right? Like you're almost afraid to ask certain things because you're afraid of like of ha- of how hard that is going to be for you to absorb, right? But I gotta say, I'm, I'm very thankful that she came on. I'm glad that I did it because that is such a unique perspective we all need to hear. And for her personally, I felt like it was a way to, you know, give her some love, right? Like to kind of correct the wrongs that she was faced with, with the backlash of that. I I really liked that we, I was able to help her heal in that.
2: That didn't go the way that I thought you were going to answer that question, but I'm really glad to hear that story. I mean, it's, it's, it is tough to you know, voluntarily put yourself in a situation where, you know, people are going through really difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. And, and I imagine that the honor guard experience that you touched on earlier really helped prepare you for that in that, you know, you have a job to do that regardless of how terrible, you know, the other person that you're working with feels in the moment, like you have to do your, your job and, you know, able to, it's not so much compartmentalizing, but you know, being like that strong support maybe there for them in and maybe that's exactly what they need in that moment.
1: Absolutely. And one other quick one I'll throw at you was uh Corey Etchberger. His dad is a medal of honor recipient, Chief Etchberger, who it's a very long story, but I highly recommend you if you don't have a lot of time, there's a Medal of Honor series on Netflix where you can see like this whole story of this amazing guy who was on this top secret mission, posing as a civilian with the first stages ever in the Vietnam War of guided missile attacks. He was the on the forefront of that technology in a location that was illegal for Americans to be, be in, hence why he was in civilian clothes. And, you know, he, he died saving his team. He fought against the Viet Cong like all night. They're throwing grenades at him. He stayed up all night to throw them back. <laughs> could you imagine having to stay up all night so that you could grab grenades and throw them back at the enemy? And this is like a calm guy, right? Like, and he just he just went to the next level to save save his team. And on the helicopter ride out, a stray bullet hit hit under the helicopter, hit his artery, and he died. By the time they landed, he'd already bled out and it's a uh, it's super sad that like he saved everyone on his team in that moment and yet he himself, you know, got killed. But I talked with his son and I prepared tremendously for that one. Like I I wanted to do that justice because I did not I wanted to make sure his son knew that I researched this thoroughly and I did the best job I could at capturing his dad's story. I think it was 37 years after the incident, he was given the Medal of Honor because it was finally declassified. So Obama, President Obama at the time, had the family come out and presented them with this Medal of Honor. And that whole time, they never knew what happened to their dad for for that long. They did not know what happened to their dad. They only knew him up until they were five years old when this happened. That son that I talked to, uh, Corey, he has since passed away since that talk, which absolutely breaks my heart because he was such an amazing person who loved airmen he would go on tdy's and speak with them and it, he just cared so much and i'm so thankful i did do my due diligence on that episode because now i have s- stories from him he's passed away what we captured in that episode about him his father how he felt all that you know i we have safe forever now and you know i'm very proud of that episode
2: it's great yeah it gets back to the time capsule uh thing that we were talking about earlier Just think about all the future generations of that family, too, that, you know, that's a gift for them that, you know, can't be quantified, I don't think, you know, and that's really cool. And I'm glad I'm glad that you were there in that moment to have that conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
3: Stay tuned for part two of our season finale, where we continue our discussion with Josh White from the Hero Front podcast. And as always, from all of us here to all of you out there, have a great day. C41A is an independent company and produced by C41A Media. Digital Media Support and Creative Director Manoj Rima, Marketing and IT Christopher Foote, and Director and Outreach Greg Taylor.